episode 78 of Link to the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera. On the show this week, the Hedgehog is back. Discord beefs up to compete with Skype and Twitch. Bundles, bargains everywhere. Will there be a podcast on the internet that won't say the word Nazi this week? Thanks to PewDiePie, we have our answer anyway. Let's start the show. be it Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, or Stitcher. I'm your party host, Dave Ryan, joined as I am each and every week by the platforming prodigy that is Mark Robinson. Mark, how are you? You rose from... Is this recli- off? You, you rose from a reclining position on the cu- couch in like a Christ position. Oh, you know to when... To answer my call. I you, stood on hilltop. And you, you know, like, when you're that tired that your eyeballs hurt. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I'm there. Yeah, yeah. I'm there. I had a real um a real sleepless night last night um and I kind of I didn't get to bed until about half 4 in the morning. And to stop it becoming a trend where I would be going to sleep at half 4 in the morning, you know, for the foreseeable, I decided that to easily happens. cut it off. It it does like because mm-hmm. if you just like naturally sleep in, you know, when you don't have like I don't have anything on until Friday, so it could easily have happened. So I, it happened to I, me I went. For about no, 10 years. you know what? Even though I'm, I'm going to sleep at four half four here, I'm I'm setting my alarm for half nine. Oh Jesus! <laughs> <laughs> I am. It fucking, sounds like a good I'm, idea. I'm running on steam. Yeah. Uh, how have you been this week, pal? Uh I just tired. I went back home for the weekend. Yeah, you did. Yeah, which was nice. Yeah. Uh, Laura... Back under the iron heel of the queen. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so Laura has one of those Fitbit watches. This would um, be your girlfriend. This would be my girlfriend. Uh, Give it a context, mate. Everyone's like, comic hey. book is someone's first comic book. All right, all right, all right. I was about to make the Vince McMahon every time, every person potentially could be watching a wrestling show for the first time. Oh, yeah. uh, she has you a... Still left from Stan Lee, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> she, she has a Fitbit watch and um, she also has it on her phone, her app, that lets her know how many steps that she's walked. And so it tracked that we'd walked about 55,000 steps over four days. And I have like a a pretty cheap pair of trainers from Pennies or Primarks, depending on what side of the uh, Irish sea you're on. Mm. So uh, just my feet are fucking ruined. Do you know what's funny is like, I don't realize, like I walk a lot and I don't really pay attention to how much I walk. And the only two times I've ever really noticed that I walk a lot and fast and far uh, were firstly the first time you came to visit and you were tired and I just kept walking till you were nearly dead yeah you monster you were already tired and I didn't think about it and I was just walking hither and yon all over Dublin oh, and at one point I looked back at you and you looked like you were dying <laughs> and then the other times are when, when Brian is with me and we're off in Dublin or something he has um, um, a step counter on his phone yeah and He'd periodically turn to me and he'd just go like, we'll have been in Dublin for a day and we'll be on the train or the bus on the way back home. He said, we walked like over 20,000 steps today. But you know what, right? Because like, like, I'll, I literally like, I'll dart about and... I was, I, I was fine the entire time that I was working in retail, running about. I was fine. Yeah. I was fine for the six months in China. No idea why. Probably because I was 
too focused on not getting run over at any given time. Mm. But outside of that, I just no, just walking, not not my thing, not a fan of yeah. it. I'm a big fan. I yeah. like it. Get, it clears my head. Like, um, I put the headphones in, put on a podcast or some music, and just start walking. Yeah, see, I can just sit ahead. down and do that and not have to move. Anyway, uh, I had a pad thai in Camden. That was lovely. Yeah. Uh, saw some the friends. Real home of Thai food. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, I, I like Camden. You can find pretty much any kind yeah. of food there. I was having Jack went to a banging hipster fish and chips place. Uh, you could say hipster and then put any. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. it's uh, Camden. Yeah, because like, um, and she'll she'll not be pleased about me saying this, but Laura can be fussy, and oh. I. Oh, shots fired. And I don't like to. I'm not the kind of boyfriend that's like, oh, I want to do this, I want to do that, I want to do that. I like. You know, I think the only fussiness I've ever seen you do at a restaurant is making sure they have sweet potato fries. Yeah, I look. <laughs> come you on are, now, you have a brand. Come on now, um, but Camden's perfect because it it pretty there's much everything has everything and there's, there's everything there's street food and, and crepes. Yeah, it has everything and crepes. Yeah, that I think that's what it says in the Camden <laughs> station. As you come yeah. in, welcome to Camden. There's everything yeah. and crepes. Although it's done with like in vape signals, over yeah, yeah, like a railway yeah. station. Um, uh, but yeah, so uh, England was fine. Um, not as racist as I was expecting, but yeah. you know you have to look for it really. Um, and to be fair, London is highly multicultural. Do you, know, so. do you know how I found out you were there? I think I told you this. Uh, I can't remember because when you land, I didn't hear anything from you. And it's not like I'm, I, you know, I'm checking in on you to make yeah, sure yeah. you landed safe or anything like that. But the first knowledge I had that you had actually gotten there safe and sound was I got a picture from friend of the show Jack Lazell of you looking at a menu in a restaurant that oh, yeah. just had the caption look at this cunt <laughs> <laughs> so I was like ah he's there then sure I, I let everyone else kind and of and then the second comment was I was him. like his missus is way too good for him yeah <laughs> she's lovely thanks Jack prick <laughs> um what else oh, she's right she's too nice to be associated yeah, with her a lot at all that. I, that's absolutely <laughs> like unbearably normal for our motley crew that of freaks is entirely a reasonable <laughs> comment uh speaking of freaks went to south end that's still yep yeah. as i remembered it uh walked up the o2 which yeah. was jolly good fun yeah uh, it really gives you a, a good well it did i think used to give a really good view of um because it looks over towards like where canary wharf and that whole business uh mm. kind of district yeah. is I, I i did i did it once um i was there um on my own waiting around for a friend of the show keith brownie well, she just decided to walk up the O2. I was around London, and I was just like, I was in, I wasn't too far away from it, and I have heard, obviously, as you had heard, because you went and did it, that this is a thing people do. Yeah. I was like, I have a whole morning with nothing mm-hmm. to do, so I went and, yeah, it's a good time. It is, except yeah. they- Except when you're carrying, like, a real heavy bag. That is a pain, but they, so what <laughs> they've done right is uh, they've decided to build- uh, like a hotel directly like in front of where that whole kind of you know when you see like a city skyline you got all the buildings and whatnot and so mm-hmm. you that, like that whole kind of Canary Wharf section is kind of a quite a famous part of London for that they have put a, a hotel pretty much directly in the fucking way of it so any kind of scenic shots you want to take has now been ruined so yeah. that was a pain but still it was nice to do that at night uh, we did the Emirates uh, Airbus air cable thing that goes from across the river basically that was terrifying uh I'm not the biggest fan of heights. The O2, the O2 is fine, but just swing in from side to side because that thing fucking like me and Laura were in one corner of the the cable car and the fucking thing was leaning over and yeah. I was like, "You fucking sit on the other side. We are not doing anything romantic or any kind of sentimental. No, you sit over there. We'll just fucking listen to Ed Sheeran until he shuts up. I'm going to hold on to the floor. I'm I'm going to close my anywhere. eyes. <laughs> yeah. Um. So that happened. Although. Yeah. <laughs> 
so yeah in the cable car like they seem to be playing all the kind of sentimental stuff like um there was ed sheeran um there was heartbeats by what's his name the uh uh one night in the, na, 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 what the fuck is it called I can't we're remember. not cool we don't no, know these not. things but all these Did kind they of... play sam smith no but oh, I, it, that's, it that's was a, that's real it would have been up one. there yeah. but going into the cable car they were playing fucking license to kill oh wow <laughs> which i was like all right yeah just give me bond themes over the river yeah. i'll take that speaking of which before we get into games that's good news yeah, uh, as craig. of last night daniel craig is coming back for one more now because he openly said like and because yeah. i watched the, the, the colbert, uh, colbert thing. yeah he's great. like look i just stopped filming yeah i was tired he seems like a, a grumpy man yeah that he can be a grumpy man which he is surprising charming considering as well. who he's married to yeah. i would never be grumpy again but regardless <laughs> i did like stephen colbert creeping on his wife yeah. his wife is, his wife is rachel vice for those of you who don't i know. mean i've seen the mummy let's be fair and come on <laughs> she uh yeah anyway uh, yeah, like coming back for one more. I think, I think, like genuinely, a case for the best Bond. Well, I mean that's a, a conversation. But there's a case day. to be made. But there is a case to be made. Um, I would say it's it's probably him and Connery. Yeah, yeah. I do have a soft spot for more, but he's yeah, subject in, to a couple in a of really kind of your creepy uncle sort of way. Well, like, no, that's just a view to a kill. Which, yeah. uh, um, what was I was going to say, yeah, oh, <laughs> rest we, in peace, by the way. Yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> of course, of course, I forgot about that. Because uh, we were talking about this the other day, in that expect if he didn't do another film of the Spectre, Spectre, Spectre would be unfinished. worse in retrospect because it feels like part one of a of a yeah because one, like two. they take so long getting to the bit with Blowfield, and it's like yeah. you really need to have more of I like a that film a bunch I a lot of people seem to I think it's because it came after Skyfall yeah I think the Skyfall is perfect I'm not gonna say perfect it's, it's, but it's so it's so for a Bond movie which is inherently imperfect in a lot of ways yeah. it is perfect because I will say I uh, out of the four I still prefer Casino Royale Casino Royale is great um, but Casino Royale is like a is great because it's a real stripped down yeah, yeah. it's great in the same way that um I think Winter Soldier is a great Marvel movie mm. because it's it's got so few of the trappings of Marvel. Like it's really just an espionage film with some pretty tassels on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, sure. So it's a real kind of Christina Royale is a real stripped back, and Mads Mikkelsen is fucking incredible as Le Chief. Yeah, I he's another case where and I'll never look at Rope the same way. No, I know, right? But like him, he's another one where like there's so much more that could have been done and it's mm. the same with Blowfield here which because re- Blowfield's such a kind of central part and Christoph Waltz is such an amazing actor he isn't he just isn't I, I, I he really just? I th- I'm thinking tonight and partly uh, based on events off the weekend as as a matter of maybe grim satisfaction you're going to watch Inglorious Bastards I think I'm going to watch Inglorious Bastards <laughs> but his performance as Hans Landa like yeah. the very opening scene where uh-huh. I'd never seen him he, like he was a virtual unknown before that film fucking hell like uh-huh. so menacing and yeah. so calm and he's great he's just great Christoph yes. yes he is um there was one last thing I wanted to... oh yeah yeah that's the only thing I've really done this week. I haven't really done a lot apart from play the thing we're going to talk about in a, in a couple of seconds here but one thing I, I wanted to talk about and I don't want to because we are an oasis of calm in a sea of awfulness that is the world mm-hmm. we, we've said that yep that certain uh, what did I call him a tangerined micro-limbed cretin once isn't going to be mentioned on the show I'd have just gone for limp dick but uh, you know I, 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 you know I'm loquacious that's yeah, what I do I'm um, but based on certain events that I'm pretty sure everybody would be um, 
well aware of at this point if they use the internet that happened over the last week i was um kind of i was inspired to dive back into one of my favorite series that has ever aired um and that is ken burns civil war mm-hmm. so ken burns for those of you who don't know is possibly the most prolific modern american documentarian who will take these long-form series looking at a particular time in usually American history. Now, the one that everybody talks about still to this day, um, and obviously it holds a much uh, dearer place in Americans' heart because they already have an association to it, is Ken Burns' Baseball. He does one about the, the, the just the history of baseball, which is fascinating even for me as someone who doesn't give a shit about baseball. But uh, to me, his 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 enduring masterpieces. He does this seven part series. I think it's a seven part series uh, on the American Civil War from start to finish. Because uh, current events that were going on this week had some really, really, really showed up people's poor understanding of American history and what they think. Somewhat. Um. So I was kind of intrigued to go back. Because this was a popular series at the time, and a lot of people watched it, but I think it's an in-one-ear-out-the-other-ear sort of situation. Um, I would urge people to, to watch that show, like or that that documentary series. Um, I'm not trying to proselytize or, or bring politics into it or anything like that, because he does take like a cold, factual look at everything that was going on in the Civil War um, and talk about how, like, with very few exceptions, there weren't really moral absolutes. There were people... On, on both sides of the civil war who believed in awful things um and a lot of personal stories went back ken burns is a real warm filmmaker like tells a lot of real personal stories uses a lot of actors to do voiceovers of diary entries and things like that which i think is great um like it's right up there on a, on a plinth with world at war for me in terms of great historical documentaries but that's just a, a recommended based on uh, yeah. what i've been watching this I, week i watched the uh, the the voice documentary that went up about oh, the weekend and yeah, that, I don't wanna, uh, that was rough yeah that was rough that's yeah that's it was this week's episode of vice news yeah is what it was yeah. yeah um but anyway let's let's talk about happier things shall we sure playing this week hey check it out i learned the baseline from final fantasy 2 scott you are the salt of the earth well thanks i meant scum of the earth thanks Mark the Hedgehog is back. He certainly He's is. He's fucking back. I have been right. So since... And Jim Sterling sums it up very well. Because Jim Sterling uh, has started That's doing Jim video... Fucking re- Sterling Jim too, fucking Sterling, right? sons. Um, he has started doing video reviews on his... Um, more regularly on his YouTube channel. And he did one for Sonic Mania. Which is the game we're talking about now. And he... <laughs> he... he kind of pointed out how incredible it was that such a great experience came from being announced in the middle of the most stereotypically Sega car crash that was that 25th anniversary <laughs> stream this is the sound of 25 years of Sonic um, yeah like it was to... announced then I don't know if I had that down on my uh, Konami Corners uh, award for ineptitude I, yeah, I know I think we did but last year it didn't win oh was it last oh, it was last year fuck yeah. me how time flies yeah because it was the um, can I just put it up it for was this Oculus year? that won it last year for us oh it? yeah for you know 
everything. Everything. Um, mm. But yeah, it was announced in the middle of that. And I remember, like, I didn't watch the stream. But I remember people talking about, oh my God, the stream was awful. It was cringy. The technical issues, the actual what was going on. Sometimes it was better that we couldn't hear what was going on because what was going on looked awful. Um, and they talked about the 3D Sonic game that's coming. And then I remember reading, like, a couple of bars down. Oh, there's a story about they're doing a new retro Sonic that's what Sonic Mania is and it came out this week and oh fucking hell it's like it's it in the best possible way Mark it's like I have gotten in a time machine and gone back to the the, the prime of the Mega Drive yeah here's the thing the Genesis right? so I didn't get my uh, I didn't get hyped up for it but everything I saw of it and knowing I was who was trying so hard to temper my excitement but and I knowing just and knowing who was behind it I was like this will not be bad uh, the, the, there is a a ceiling here or a floor that I'm already knowing that this game is going to hit just because I know it's behind Christian Whitehead yeah. who's behind the, the iPhone ports of Sonic CD and so, I know I played Sonic CD and Sonic 1 or 2 on the iPhone but I definitely remember Sonic CD so I was like and, and going back for the amount of stuff that he's done on the Sonic franchise I was like this will be at a level However, height peaks, I know it's going to hit a certain level. Now, I'm only about halfway through, I want to say. I think there's like 12 or 13 stages. I think I'm about six or seven in. But the the general tone, like, you could, we could summarize this very quickly as Sonic Mania has the look, the feel, the tone, the sound. Oh, the sound. Of there's the, so much I want to. Of the of. original. Uh, trilogy of Sonic games and Sonic CD. Yeah. Specifically, I mean, we'll I think, talk about why you said trilogy like that later. Yeah. But. Specifically, <laughs> it, it hits on the the Sonic CD part of that. I think. Um, but it just, and you know what? I really feel like I need to go back to Sonic Four because I only played Sonic Four at the time it came out, and then I immediately just disowned it like a, mm. you know, like a freak child. Brandon Jones of, um, I think it was Brandon Jones of Easy Allies. I don't want to misattribute a quote, but I think he said that. It was either him or Jim Sterling um, said that looking back now at Sonic 4, now that we have Sonic Mania, Sonic 4 has the title that Sonic Mania deserves. Yeah. As in it should be the fourth canonical Sonic or synonical. Um, (laughs) But everything about it, like the important thing, like you said, the feel, just that it feels like Sonic. Yeah. Um, Down to just down to a T. Um, the, the boss battles the stages one of the really interesting things that you may have read uh, anyone listening out there or, or if not we'll talk about it now um, about this game is that so say the first stage to surprise no one is Green Hill Zone and the way they do it so it's still Act 1 Act 2 but in the first part it plays out pretty much the way you remember the level Pretty much, you know, give and take. Like it's a, it's a, it's still a modern jazzed up version of the level, but it's not playing with the formula too much. And then it's always this. It's the second stage, the second act, where, okay, now here's Christian Whitehead. Here are my ideas, my complete reinterpretation of this stage. Yeah. Here's the stuff I think we can do with it, and I think that's really good because that both, the stage one gives the fan service, gives the the memories ports you back to that time in the 90s and then you know the second stage goes okay here's why we're here in 2017 still playing Sonic because even though 
it, it's it's a retro game in theory. It's there's still a lot we can do here. Yeah, like Chemical Plant Act Two, Chemical Plant itself. Yeah. There, there's so much more going on with that. Um, like just new ideas and gimmicks and uh, mechanics to the level that just you know don't exist in the original. Mm. Um, and I think, like I will say this, it would be nice. If and I have seen a lot of people say this, it would be nice if it was more uh, home towards just kind of original content, like just original levels, because the original yeah. levels that are there are super, super creative. Yeah. And I to think me, it's more just the to me. I hope anyway, because it always seem it already seems like this is critically lauded. The Sonic official account was saying this is the best critically rated Sonic game in over fifteen years, which I have no problem believing. Yeah, um, but. To me, this should be a point at which Sonic games split off. So the likes of Christian Whitehead, we are going to do a succession of these 2D games while the people who... Because there is, as much as it baffles me, an audience somewhere for these 3D games or they wouldn't still be making them. They're anime fans. Yeah. So I want these games to continue. I want this to be the launch pad for a Sonic Mania 2. That like Sonic Mania can be the imprint. You know the way like it's it's the kind of the brand for the 2D yeah, Sonic yeah. going forward. Um but for what it is like it's for what you get in the box for 20 quid or 15 it's quid or yeah. it's it's unbelievable. Soundtrack I I said to you immediately like I think soundtrack of the year, original soundtrack of the year for a game maybe locked at this point um, it's it's certainly it's a very strong contender here's the thing right as much as I had issues with Nier that Nier soundtrack is pretty fucking mm. special but I will say this um, I like that they 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 don't do too much with the um, songs that you know come from previous games yeah but definitely, like, they add a, a little bit of flavour and flair here and there. Again, there's another thing where, in stage two, they're they're doing more with us. Yeah, but definitely, definitely, like, the new songs. Uh, I was saying to you earlier that the Press Garden theme song is is a proper banger. Um, and again, I oh, still have... Probably designed stage as well, Press Garden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and obviously, I haven't finished it yet. But definitely, you know, we'll come back to it next week once we've both finished it. I'm definitely feeling the difficulty spike is, is starting to kind That's, of... Yeah, the last few stages, they say, the, the difficulty spike goes up. I think and it's I, safe to say we're both about seven, yeah, I think we, seven or so yeah. stages out of 12. And I'll say this as well. Um, usually, like, for most of the Sonic games, certainly the 2D ones, like, most of the bosses are done within about 30, 30 to 45 seconds. I've had yeah. legit, like, four to five minutes of a boss fight because I've either not entirely figured out the mechanics straight away or just because of the way it is it's, it's taken a while to do it uh, the one with the ice sword yeah um, he was a pain that I couldn't figure that out for a couple of minutes um, that's the only one I've had significant delays in what am I doing wrong here because I, like, I don't want to spoil it but you would attack that boss in a way you wouldn't think you would attack him yeah, yeah. Um, I had but- a bit of issue with the pinball spider Oh, I didn't. I I got that first. Time. I got it. I just couldn't actually. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I get. get I get yeah. what you mean. Um, and I I got a lot of what like the the art. We talked about this yesterday. The the artificial three D, like you know, you you spoke about this to me yesterday about how 
like you love that in the old Sonic games there was there was stuff going on in the background but it was fairly simplistic yeah and they they have a couple of tricks in how they get around giving kind of mm. uh, depth and perception depth but not depth yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, trick of the eye but like what they're doing here there's a lot going on in the background like it's it's such a beautifully beautifully designed game um, and it's a credit to it that I don't want to go fast yeah. most of the time because I just want to see what's going on and it is it, it, it's a perfect Sonic game in a lot of ways in, a, in as much as it's going to encourage replayability a lot um, not just because of the, the stage design the stuff you might have missed out the special zones and things like that which are which are in this and they're pretty much just as for better or worse just as you remember them the special zones uh, I, I like that they um they go for the sonic cd approach so the yeah. the, the, the like actual special stages because you've got the uh the they take the the gimmick from sonic 3 with the collecting the blue spheres in on the the spherical platform whatever you want to call it um but they are they're the ones that you only do when you go through a checkpoint i still haven't quite established what the coins are for that you actually yeah. get at the end of the levels i think it's the unlockables right okay uh but the actual kind of big fuck off rings from sonic 3 which yeah. is the special stages um they incorporate sonic cd's approach to the special stage yeah. where you're in a kind of third person perspective and you're chasing like this ufo ship down and i really like them like yeah. it's a proper taking something that's old putting it in a new environment and finding like a, a nice balance between the two yeah yeah yeah, uh, love that. Uh, but the yeah, some of the the other replayability stuff in there, like the just being able to play as Sonic, Tails, Sonic and Tails, or Knuckles, obviously as it has in previous games, opens you up to exploring the same level in sure. a different way. Um, like I'm always a big fan of, although it is kind of the easiest way to play it a lot of the time, just flying through with Knuckles, so you can climb up to all mm-hmm. the high stuff that you're missing out on. And I tell you what, they really and um, they they really get the whole the expansion of levels that was really kind of introduced in Sonic 3 where you've got like multiple levels of the levels were huge they're massive they're really like high and wide um like i'm just going how many checkpoints are in this fucker yeah you know like i think i did about six uh of the the blue sphere stages in the like the first two acts alone um and then the you've also got the 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 split screen time attack haven't touched that yet uh, but yeah we have it we haven't sat down we, yeah. we also have it on different platforms <laughs> um although you can't do um it's a shame you can't do online time attack that would be that would be, be good pretty good um i will say because you did ask me about any issues with the switch version mm. i haven't had any issues i know some people were saying that they were having yeah. issues with like selecting the home screen or yeah. turning into sleep it's mode absolutely but... perfect on playstation as well yeah i i've got no issues with with my version and i got some some boss teams with it um, yeah yeah i saw are, them which are pretty now good. what the, the bigger thing coming out of this is the fact that sega just went here take this to like a third party and they but, but effectively a modder they should keep doing it well i it, it's not just that it's you, this is where you start pitching your idea for a new crazy taxi no 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 but it's like looking around at other franchises and specifically looking at say oh i don't know mega man although in fairness you know we've had 10 of the, the fucking mega man games so i'm not Silent gonna Hill. Well, there is Silent Hill, but I'm thinking more on the the two D retro plane. The oh, yeah. one, the one that I'm how again. I'm going to say it. It's been it's been three or four weeks now, but I'm going to say it again. How have Capcom not let 
the people who are making Mega Maker make a proper Mega Maker. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Say that for three times. I know, yeah. Uh, but I'm not a Mega Maker, I'm a Mega Maker son. <laughs> but the fact that Nintendo shut down that Metroid 2 project, now obviously they're making their own now, but yeah. like... But not, yeah, like... It, but it's like a kind of pseudo 2.5D... Metro 2, where the, this the one... This was a Super Metroid. Yeah, of, yeah, like Game Boy Advance kind of style presentation. Yeah. And I think some people would have wanted that. If, like, if your IP is sitting around, what, like... Like, I know some developers are more guarded than others about, like, we don't want people to ruin our... Like, Nintendo are the big ones for that. Like, it's why it was such a big deal that Ubisoft are getting a hold of the Mario IP for Mario Cross Rabbids. Yeah. Uh, here's the I, thing I can understand a certain amount of okay be careful now but like could you imagine if konami weren't konami and allowed like you want to talk about 2d castlevania they let someone just keep making old school castlevania games i mean i i thought they still were what was the last like 2d one would it have been on the ds or oh, well they don't they just don't they're a shithouse that don't make games now right but here, i will say this about nintendo right because they have had they're, they've been burned before, right? You think about the, the mid-90s between the the live-action Mario Brothers uh-huh. film. Um, oh, yeah. The whole nonsense with the CDI, you know, like, they've been down that path and they've been burned. So I can see why they'd be like, you know what, we'll fucking deal with it. And here's the thing, right? It's not like they've been making bad Mario, Metroid, Zelda games themselves. No. So I I can see why they were like, you know, Especially with off. Mario, because Mario is not only still good, but still consistently releasing. Me- sure. Metroid, there's more of an argument because Metroid games don't come out that much. Yeah, so I can I can see why they'd be like, no. But between what we've seen with, uh, with what Sonic Mania is, between um, what I was talking about a couple of weeks ago with Square Enix Montreal giving out the the Lara Croft Go uh, franchise to a third party developer and saying, mm-hmm. hey, you know, do what you want with it. You know, there's this really interesting stuff going on and uh, this is clearly just like, hey, if you give this to these people who are clearly talented and clearly passionate about the the prop the IP in a way that maybe you just you can't see the forest through the trees anymore. Yeah. There's some really good stuff that could be done. Um and I'm just curious to see how bad Sonic Forces will be in comparison. Yeah. Anyway, that's our that's our one game we've really been playing this week. Uh it's time to move on to all the things that have been happening in games with the news. News on the mark. Starting off with legal troubles for Nintendo this week. And uh, Nintendo, uh, this is from MCV, uh, Nintendo is facing a new lawsuit over the design of the Switch. According to Engadget, uh, accessory maker GameVice has taken issue with the tablet-based console, alleging that it violated a patent used in the company's Wikipad device, a gaming-focused Android tablet. GameVice is also arguing that the Switch and its removable Joy-Con controllers are too similar to its titular add-on controllers for mobile devices, which extend to wrap around the edges of a phone or tablet to provide extra buttons. Naturally, the suit is seeking both injunctive relief to ban further sales of the Switch and monetary damages. Uh, there are certainly similarities between the two devices, as this um, article goes I on feel to like note. 
this isn't the first time Nintendo have been sued no, over this. No, well, it's not the first time any uh, platform holder has been done over it. You'll find well, a, I, I a rich that. history. Like, yeah. if anyone is seen to be making money in tech on a thing, someone will come out of somewhere and say they have a similar thing. Yeah, and, and I get that. To, but I feel like the, someone's the, already had a go at switch, the Switch. I feel like the, the touchpad and light bar in the DualShock 4 was the subject of a mm-hmm. lawsuit yep, when that yep, came yep, out. Yep, yep, yep. I remember that. Um... But I don't know if specifically the Switch has been targeted for a lawsuit before. It may well be the case. But the thing that, uh, as you kind of just mentioned there, is that it's not like we haven't known about the design of the Switch for ooh, just under a year now, I want to say. I think it's just over a year. Or just over a year. Because I think we had the schematics of what was at the time referred to as Project NX yeah. um, had broken on Eurogamer around it was E3 around the- last year. But we, because we remember we thought it was going to be announced at E3 last year. Yeah. Um, now I'm no legal expert by any means, but the fact that we're just yeah. getting this yeah. come through now because they've just found out mm. that it's made a lot of money. Yeah. But like I would imagine, Nintendo have some lawyers. <laughs> you know what? You know, I think you might be right there. Like Nintendo've got to have a big target on their back, not only just because the Switch is doing well, but uh, just because it one of the things that's well known about them that was being often vaunted during the bad times of the Wii U. Is that they pretty much, pretty much because of the way they run their business, got more cash reserves than, mm. than Sony do on hand, uh, or even Microsoft because of the way those businesses run, and um, they've just got this massive well of cash because they are just a gaming yeah, company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas Sony, Sony, like my, are... like PlayStation and Xbox are just wings, divisions oh, of their companies. Yeah, yeah. For a long time, I don't know if it's still the case. Uh, PlayStation was the only. Uh, division of Sony oh, that was, that was making, making a profit mm-hmm. yep. uh, I don't know if that's still the case now because I know they made huge cost cutting measures like they stopped making laptops and uh, they were at least drastically reducing if not cutting out entirely TVs being made mm. um, but yeah so it's not It's it, I'm not automatically because it hasn't had a day in court yet so I can't automatically say without documents and uh, transcripts in front of me that this is a frivolous lawsuit but it certainly has all the hallmarks of a hundred different lawsuits we've seen before um at worst because nintendo are the crazy toy maker and don't exactly have a history of stealing other people's ideas like if anything they have a history of looking at the ideas of people around them and going completely off in a different direction for next to no reason um um so my read on this would be at worst this may have been a case of parallel thinking where you know um this this company this game vice company had come up with this idea but at the same time nintendo's r&d had already come up with the switch idea like i don't think uh, i would have to see the dates um um i would have to see the dates on when this this um all these are alleged to have happened but i would suspect that the switch idea just looking at the wii u i think the switch idea basically was there but they just couldn't figure out how to do what they wanted to do yeah we'd all kind of established what the switch is when the wii u came out because it wasn't what we thought it'd be the switch is like the wii u not made by dumb people (laughs) (laughs) you know um but yeah we'll 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 kind of wait and see on that like like you had um kind of Intimated, they did lose a lawsuit in twenty fourteen to to Philips over um a patent involved in the the Wii motion. Uh, that controllers. was the one, yeah. The the yeah. motion controls, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Um, but generally speaking, like you know, I I 
I find this hard to believe, but I suppose they'll have their day in court, and uh, we'll we'll find out. Uh, Discord. It's a, Discord is an app uh, that's kind of uh, like it's a chat app that is it's for those people who don't know that's geared primarily towards gamers. Like that's the the whole marketing skew behind it kind is towards yeah, it's, gaming and tech savvy people. It's interesting, right? Because it really doesn't, as far as I can see from what because I, I use it for for work. Yeah, um, we use it for the show when we remember we have it. Yeah. But, like, it, it doesn't have anything kind of drastically different to, say, a, a Skype or Slack. Uh, yeah, Slack in particular, I, I don't see a lot of differences apart from, like, superficial. Uh, Skype, the one big difference, I would say, is that uh, Discord has never just randomly stopped working. This is true. <laughs> Discord seems to be fractionally more stable. Now, we then... haven't tried video ch- or uh, audio on it yet. We have been... A couple of friends of the show have suggested that when we have guests on that we should start using Discord. And yeah. I think w- when we get round to it and stop being lazy, we'll do a tech test of Discord chat one yeah, of these I days. Yeah, I mean, because, again, using it for work, it, you know, works fine. I've never tried recording with it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, as some people said, that it seems to be the way to go. But, um, but yeah, from, again, from MCV, uh, video chat and screen sharing are coming to the chat platform Discord, uh, which the company has announced. Both features have been in hot demand from the Discord community and the idea is to build stronger connections between its nearly 50 million users. Mm. Rolling out today to a select group of users and the rest of the community over the coming months, video chat users will be able to talk with up to six friends at once without interrupting gameplay. The screen share feature, meanwhile, lets a group of up to 10 users get involved in a single gameplay stream. Um, So obviously it's becoming very, very popular with... um, you know, you look at the likes of uh, Dota or players unknown battleground. You know, having something like Discord as a way to interact with your friends. Um, you can use Discord. I, I mean, Discord will probably be the way to go for anyone that's trying to use Nintendo uh, games because, let's be honest, Nintendo's functionality at the moment is yeah. Just... I would use it on Xbox to be honest as well, just based on everything I've. Any time I've plugged a headset into my Xbox to do anything, yeah, I'm just fuck it, <laughs> <laughs> fuck it. Uh, so yeah, I mean, like the video chat and screen share. That's kind of the the next stage, really. Uh, yeah. After you have everything on the audio sides figured out, so mm. yeah, we'll see how it goes. I mean, Discord is it's it's shooting up there in terms of popularity. Like mm. some of the games that I work on, uh, I can see from the communities, Discord is the way that players you know they'll if they have like a guild they'll have everyone in that guild in their own kind of uh unique server um and like with discord like i have my work server i have my client server we have our link to the car server Mm -hmm. Uh, barry set up a group for a certain group of people of us to talk about games whatever so i mean you know a lot of that is stuff that you could do in slack but i don't know I think it's just because the UI is very slick, very simple, mm. very clean. Yeah, very light on the CPU as well. Yeah, that, that as well, definitely that as well. Which Skype is not. Uh, no. Skype is not kind. No. Um, yeah. Um, Undertale is a game that you're quite a fan of, Mark. You yeah. You played it for our YouTube channel not I, too long ago. That would have been last year, because I think that was like my 2015 game of 2016. I think I voted for that. In that it was definitely last year, all right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's coming to PS4. And it's already out on PS4. Oh, is it? Yep. And PS Vita. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of the, the few remaining games on Vita Island. 
But uh, we we got to look at. Do you know what Undertale would be great on? What Switch? (laughs) That's any sort of. (laughs) Someone said this recently. Like any sort of smaller game. No, 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 no. Any game. A lot of games. You know what? Just fucking put players on battleground on there. Put it this way. I wouldn't say any game. I'm still buying FIFA on the PS4 this year. Well, <laughs> you know, you know, you're part um, of the problem. Yeah, that's me. Um, so when you release on current gen consoles, you are expected on Xbox and PlayStation to make with the trophies. Yeah, trophy now keep in mind that and achievements. Keep in mind that uh, I don't know if they did or if if um, Toby Fox eventually did it, but. Uh, at its release, it didn't have achievements for on Steam. Steam. Yeah. yeah, Steam aren't as big on no. the you have to do it, but no. Sony definitely wants you to do it. I mean, in fact, Steam, there's... in terms of you know game uh, quality control, they're pretty loose in general. Yeah. But anyway, um, trophies are there's a big trophy subculture that I've kind of I, I kind of dip in and out of now. Um, like I have. I think 22 platinum trophies, but even compared to some people on my friends list, it's not even a drop in the water yeah. for some people, you know? Um, but something that often pops me, Mark, that I really appreciate is when um, trophy titles are clever or funny. Like one of my favorites is always um, there. If you and Minecraft on PS4, if you bake a cake, the trophy you get is called the lie. Yeah, I like it when they're either clever, creative, or you can clearly see that they just don't care. Yeah, Saints Row trophies are also great for yeah. pretty much the exact combination of all those things uh-huh, you just said. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so this is this is from Polygon here. Undertale didn't have any achievements in its original PC release, but now that it's on PS4 and PS Vita, it's got a very, very good list of trophies. In keeping with the game's snarky tone... Uh, developer Toby Fox and his team at 84 hey 84 uh, added some on-brand trophies that make the journey to the platinum trophy hilarious good that it got a platinum by the way Sonic Mania no platinum yeah bit annoying not going to say this entirely why I got it on the Switch but I'm going to no you know, just... it, well it definitely swayed you you were about 50-50 yeah um, here are the highlights courtesy of a tweet that went viral just prior to the console parts launch so <laughs> there's a trophy co- there's a trophy for getting an item called don't worry I have lots of ideas for trophies if you get two items, you get a trophy that says, like, getting items. Three items gets you a trophy called, or getting more items. And getting four items says, help me, I'm out of ideas. Um, that's that's pretty great. Then uh, the the platinum trophy is called, don't you have anything better to do? Which is, yes. Yep. Uh, you still haven't played on sale, have you? No. I, but I would, would give it a recommendation. Be tempted. Yeah, like, I mean. Is it cross do you know? think it is but i'm not a hundred percent if it's cross buy it's a definite buy i feel like i've seen the words cross and buy Mm -hmm. and undertale seen around somewhere um it's like i i've always said that i'm more mechanically driven than i'm narratively driven Mm -hmm. but undertale finds a really good combination of the two and just it's a complete subversion of the rpg uh, genre, yeah. Uh, in ways that I was kind of prepared for from what I'd heard about it, and also completely not prepared for in some of the shit that it does. Uh, uh, yeah, it's just a fucking weird, snarky, funny game. So, yeah. Metal Gear's <laughs> Metal Gear Rising Revengeance has come to Xbox One backwards compatibility. Um, 
It's curious, Mark, that you put this in the news, considering you don't like Metal Gear at the best of times. I just, I saw it and in a pot. This is a weird fucking, I've only played a little bit of this, but I've, I've oh, watched it. Oh, you've only played a little played. bit of it. I've watched it be played. I, I played all I needed to play of Metal Gear Rising Revenge. See, Revengeance. I thought that as well, but for some reason I thought, no, I'm going to finish this fucking thing. Mainly because it's platinum. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that last 20 minutes or so of that game. Super weird. Super weird. And also super fucking difficult. Yeah. Yeah, it's on Xbox One. Yeah, so go play that, I suppose. Sure. That's, that's the thing, if you're a real Metal Gear Universe completionist, I would sooner try and track down a copy of Metal Gear on MSX and play <laughs> that instead. Uh, moving on, uh, this story here, Mark, if you want to walk us through it, this is a bit uh, from Kotaku. It's called The Dev Who Cried Wolf. This is something I hadn't heard of before we sat down to record. Okay, so this all came... It's coming uh, from Rich Stanton. It all came about yesterday. Uh, so there's a new game coming out relatively soon. I can't remember the release date called Tokyo 42, which looks pretty interesting. Um, I haven't seen too much about it other than it's got an isometric view. Uh, I don't know whether it's like some sort of kind of SimCity building thing or what the deal is, but uh, it's by a team that uh, called Mode 7, who are actually a very nice bunch of guys. I once interviewed them a long, long time ago. Uh, basically, there was a story going around yesterday morning about a developer who uh, years ago uh, created a game called Tokyo 41 on the Spectrum and there was uh, like pictures and uh, there was actual gameplay footage of this game called Tokyo 41 and he was claiming that this new game Tokyo 42 had ripped off his idea and so there are a lot of uh, journalists and kind of trying to you know genuinely like emailing this contact that this uh, developer had given out, trying to find out, you know, get the scoops on it, basically. There were also some people who are thinking that this is basically a PR stunt, which yeah. it turns out it was. Yeah. And so there was a whole bunch of stuff um, once everything had come out, and this morning as well, or during the, the day today, about the, not the ethics, but just the kind of, the factor of trust the is out there and whether this is kind of good publicity, bad publicity, is all publicity good publicity? And I mean, first of all, the level of creativity to, to come up with something like this, I I will admire, you know, regardless. In isolation. In isolation, yeah. you know, because there was a lot of work put into this. Uh, there was a whole backstory that was put out. The um, I can't remember his name, but... Some thought went into it. So a lot of thought went into this, and you can actually read the, the developer of Mode 7, he's put out a, a statement about this, all, and you can... There was a lot that was going to go into this. But there's also a bunch of journalists out there who were spending, like, half a day trying to kind of crack this story, who were basically saying, you know, if you do something like this, um, and it kind of breaks our level of trust, like, in the future certainly you but anyone else because like mm. there was the whole thing with um uh project uh, cd red's new game uh cyber cyberpunk cyberpunk 2044 2077 2077 um and they were saying that they'd been hacked and that there was like early prototypes of the game that were going to be released and this was just before e3 and so everyone was like oh yeah this is a they assumed stunt. that it must be and so did i because i ended up doing a piece for motherboard about it and they were like no this is legit and it seems to be the case because we i figured we'd hear something at e3 and we didn't hear anything i don't think we've heard anything since and so it yeah it does kind of now like you err on the side of caution when something like this happens 
which then becomes an issue that when there is a developer who does had created a game from X amount of years ago, uh, yeah, it's just I can see kind of the I can see an argument for both sides. I do think that the, the level of creativity involved and the fact that there was no real damage caused here. Uh, other than, you know, it waste, did waste a bit of time for certain journalists, fair enough. But there are still stories out there that you could put, and there are stories from these journalists that has been put out there. Uh, yeah. I don't know. It's an interesting one. Yeah, it's definitely one to think of. I like, I think I'm, I'm definitely someone who falls down on more, like, sort of on the side of the fence. That, like, whereas it, it's undeniably a creative way to go about things, there, there certainly is that element to, like if something bad actually happens you want to be taken seriously by journalists and not everyone go oh it's another pr marketing thing and like much as devs will you know criticize journalists and journalists will criticize devs vice versa at the end of the day i think there needs to be a tacit acknowledgement that they kind of both need each other um so I, I like I would think not to the extent where you need to be like uh, buttering up to them, but I definitely think there's a, a need to a certain extent to um, not burn bridges with yeah. press unless utterly justified. Yeah, like I can see the case for saying that hey, this is just a blatant like bait and switch, uh, and that's fair enough, you know. It's going to come down to the person. Like, it's it's a strange kind of murky sort of thing where everybody's going to have a different take on it, and that's fine. Yeah, and, I mean, here's the thing, right? You can say... I mean, look, there's nothing kind of egregious or offensive about this publicity stunt. That's the first thing we should kind of clear up, you know? Like, if it was offensive, then, hey, we're talking... Nothing offensive, here. no law has been broken. No. Um, and in terms of drumming up interest for this game, hey, it's worked, because this yeah. was the only fucking thing I was seeing outside of, you know, real-world horrific events uh so i mean in that in in that on that aspect i can only really say fair enough you know the developer was aiming to get more coverage and pointed out himself it's like we had a spike that we've never had before this uh before today so yeah. fair enough yeah hmm. it's a real kind of do you think the ends justify the means sort indeed, of a, indeed. a situation uh, GameSeek, which is an online game retailer has informed mcv that it's uh shaking up the game's retail space with some very yeah, aggressive pricing ceo stephen staley said that the site is now selling triple a new releases as low as 15 pounds each the initial promotions are set to cost the company two hundred and fifty thousand pounds but that's just a start with staley insisting that it will continue to run these low prices indefinitely which is fucking bananas mm -hmm. the payoff for GameSeek is that the increased traffic to the site will benefit its third party retailers GameSeek recently relaunched a new responsive site with heavy emphasis on its new third party marketplace which is a simplified fee system with no listings or sign up fees retailers can sign up at GameSeek marketplace um so let me, this, let me just put it out to you here right yeah. so I've I've gone to the website just now and you can let's have a look uh like the new Nino Cooney game, I can see it here on PC for twenty quid. Yeah. Um, I saw a minute ago. Um, there was. Do, 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 where are we? Where are we? Do, 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 do. I saw. Um, yeah, Pro Evo Soccer, thirty six quid. Yeah, that's it's crazy. That, like, yeah. um, it it's an interesting, um, tactic. It's what we call a loss leader. Um, the 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 equivalent you'd come across most in your daily life, Mark, of a loss leader would be uh, when you walk into Tesco down the road and they have a pack of five donuts there for a euro. Yeah. Something like that. Something that 
uh, behind it all, there's a spreadsheet and they are making a loss on that product. Oh, no, you, know, you could even go more than that. You could just say, like, they do it with games. Yeah. There's a there's a there's a lot of stuff that happens, yeah, um, like that. But I'm thinking like the more kind of like day to day thing people will encounter I every mean, single sure, day. Sure, sure, sure. Um, something like that where they're making a loss on it, but the point is get people in the door with that stuff that they're making a loss on, and they're going to pick up five or six other things mm-hmm. while they're there. Um, and this is a this is a pretty like I wouldn't say it's a bulletproof business strategy. It definitely blows up in in some so, businesses' faces. It's a fucking bold strategy, especially in this day and age. Um, something like um, what else? Cinemas as well. Cinemas make next to no money on actual cinema tickets, and they depend largely, not entirely, on people buying popcorn and sweets and drinks, which is part of why that is so fucking expensive to buy mm-hmm. those things in cinemas. Um, it, it's an it, definitely an interesting strategy. Like the the games that are going to steal the headlines that every Tom, Dick, and Harry are going to buy, you drop prices of them considerably, and you hope that oh, while I'm here. I see another game here. I see another thing here. Well, look, here's the and thing. And you pick up three or four things in a go. Like, I often do that with Amazon. Like, if I'm on Amazon and I, I go, right, I'm going to buy this thing. And Amazon's super sneaky fucking algorithm, as soon as I add it to my basket, goes, well, people who looked at this oh, item yeah, look also this looked at well. this. Uh-huh. And I'll tell you what, one of those items is on sale at the moment. Yep. And you can get free shipping if you get the two of them together. And I'm just like, sons of bitches, they well, got me. I ordered a Metal Gear Solid hoodie this week, and I wasn't planning to. Well, in this paragraph here, right, so um, Uncharted Lost Legacy is 15 quid. Yeah. The SNES Mini was priced at 50 quid. Uh, Mario Odyssey and Mario Rabbids are just 25 quid. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as Assassin's Creed Origins, Forza 7, and Far Cry 5. That's that's completely insane. That's yeah. like half the price of what they'd be at launch. It'd be interesting to see if this is a thing where if this really works out for them quite well, um, whether that the, the the old brick and mortar stores that are hanging on for dear fucking life start to look at that and go maybe not go as extreme because well they'll have to do as something. well. There's a certain there's a certain slice of that pie of people buying games who will not use online retailers still this in 2017. Yeah. Um, and if they drop prices even marginally, like if you drop the, the cost of physical games by about, I don't know, 15 or 20 euro, like I would imagine a marked rise in business. Like when you go in there and you look at, like I know I've talked about it on the show, if you analyze in terms of real value, comparatively like adjust for inflation games have never actually been cheaper mm. but you still look at the number 79.99 euro yeah on a game and you go <sighs> like even though uh, you buy a game for the n64 back in the day and if that was on sale new now today it would be more than that it's just the number freaks people out so if you drop that price a little um even if it was just kind of for december leading up to christmas we're dropping shit. Or in January, when I imagine stuff slows down considerably after everyone's already got the Christmas present. You know, January, the Christmas rush is over for this month and this month alone. All of our games in our charts are going to be reduced by 15 quid. You're going to get people coming in buying two games at a go. Yeah, I mean, there is the issue that, and we've seen this with, um, where between like the end of October through November, you have like an autumn sale followed by the Black Friday sale followed yeah. by the Christmas sale. And so you end up with... And you get a lot me, of those will be digital sales, like kind yeah, yeah, of yeah. 
um, GameStop will have kind of a little bit of a sale before Christmas, a little bit of a sale after Christmas, kind of like the way normal shops do. Mm. Uh, they don't they don't ebb and flow as much as they should to keep up with the online marketplace. Like I, there's definitely a refusal to that they kind of stick rather than twist. Yeah, but this is just like madness. I I'm don't very know interested to see how it works out. Because even be um, when I worked in retail, that yeah, we did lower have have games, new games out at a slightly lower price, but not fucking half price. Like that's just that's just madness. Yeah. Um, PewDiePie has been at it again. Um, Do we have to? Uh well, he is one of the biggest personalities in games. I'm kind he of. Is, I'm just. Kind he of is number one on YouTube by a considerable distance. Um, so basically, the the story from Patricia Patricia Hernandez over Kotaku, PewDiePie says he's going to stop making Nazi jokes after Charlottesville. Oh, by the way, David Scammell's already platinum so uh, Sonic. So. Uh yeah. The, well, there's no platinum, but he's he's. Got oh, he's already got. Yeah, yeah. The fucking you know, uh, Gerard. What's his name? The completionist on YouTube. Yeah. yeah he got it yesterday morning. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Jesus. Um. So, PewDiePie, or, or Felix um, Kjellberg, I think is how you pronounce his, his surname. Uh, he's number one on YouTube, and he's a guy who, before this Nazi stuff, I wouldn't say I was a fan of his, but some of his content I enjoyed. And this has put him into, I think, what the, in the 2017 parlance would be your problematic fave. Because... His whole argument when the Nazi stuff started, and it's a fair argument to make, I suppose, in theory, is that he he himself not being a Nazi, he feels he has the freedom of expression and comedic license to make jokes about the Nazis, right? This is part of his whole defense, mm-hmm. which in certain contexts, that is a bit like you know you go into very kind of lofty arguments about it's comedy's responsibility to say that the tough thing the hard thing things like that but then you look at this is a guy who's watched by a lot of children and um had partnerships with disney and stuff at the time that Indeed. like really you need to be thinking about that sort of stuff be a bit more conscious even though you've done nothing legally wrong or or you know if you were an exclusively adult oriented station with no kind of partnerships that would like you, feel you, upset about that you go into one thing. you go into think of the children territory but no seriously you have to think about the children yeah, and and he has a he he has this thing that uh, people I know have, and and a lot of people on the internet have, where like it, it's it's kind of thing like like a bull child that if you tell them not to do something, they're going to want to do it more, and that's where he really lost the the high ground because his his initial defense of him making the joke like where you know with the the Fiverr thing we we mm-hmm. talked about it on the show, yep, I'm not yep, retreading yep. old territory, but his initial defense of that was a fairly like I was like okay but fair enough you know I wouldn't have done it wouldn't have been my choice to go there try and make that joke but he's made a fairly reasoned defense about it uh, as far as those go it was when people started telling him you know that's kind of insensitive you, you stop doing that and he leaned hard into doing it more it's when they double down yeah it's 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 the doubling down that really yeah. like I honestly think, like, one of the other controversies we talked about a lot this year was the Colin Moriarty tweet mm-hmm. that got him uh, eventually removed from from Kind of Funny. Um, 
honestly think if he had shot out that tweet and then within an hour had put in a full apology just saying it was a dumb joke I think it would have blown over yeah um but the fact that he doubled down on it is what killed him yep in the end um but we'll talk about the, the latest here now with PewDiePie rather than get, getting off the course any further earlier this year YouTube's biggest star sparked controversy after Disney severed ties with him over jokes about Jewish people and Nazis at the time Felix PewDiePie Kjellberg apologised but continued to make many Nazi references in defiance to the outrage as we've already mentioned months later Kjellberg says he is a different he has a different perspective about all those jokes and say, says he's no longer going to make them at this point I really just want to distance myself from all this, he said. I remember when it all happened in February. I was sort of like, I mean, they're just jokes. There's not actual Nazis out there. What are you talking about? A lie. <laughs> I'm sorry. You can't be on the internet in the 21st century and think there are not Nazis out there. Sorry. <laughs> you can't. You can't. You cannot be that stupid. You literally cannot be that stupid. Because if you are that stupid... You are one of the Nazis, generally speaking. <laughs> anyway, um, and then I took a look at this and like, oh, I see. I'm okay. Or okay. Uh, this he's referring to is the events in Charlottesville, Virginia, which we'll not get into. But, uh, you know, kind of um, our, our, our love goes out to the people there um, who were caught up in horrible fucking events. But, um, Jesus, when I saw this headline, Mark, the reason I want to bring this up, like, when I saw this headline... And I was just like, just just shut up. <laughs> just shut up. There's a thing that, um, oh, Anthony Jeselnik, he's a stand-up comedian. Um, this seems like a weird tangent, but this is kind of how I feel about this and why I brought it up. Anthony Jeselnik is a comedian who is known for saying really fucking rough jokes when it's too soon, but it's entirely out of the place of, you know, comedy says the tough thing. Yeah. And at a certain point it's like, we, we either laugh in the face of horror or we, we just let it destroy us kind of thing. Like, like I, if you listen to him on podcast, he has very reasoned arguments for making horrendous fucking jokes. And one of the reasons he has a stand up special where he talks about, it, he said, the reason is because you have two responses. Either you can do that or you can do what he thinks is the much more self-serving and awful he he the people who just the famous people in particular he's pointing out here people who go thoughts and prayers go out you know shoot off the tweet saying thoughts and prayers to such and such he said because you know what that means he said when people just people with verified accounts people with a lot of followers who have no kind of relation to a thing just do the generic thoughts and prayers tweet and don't actually offer any substantial help to a situation at all what they're actually doing is going hey guys I know this has just happened and it's really bad, but don't forget about me. You know, I'm still here. Mm. I feel bad about it too. <laughs> you know? I suppose. I there, suppose. And there's definitely some of that. And that's kind of what this feels like, is that, you know, PewDiePie could have just stopped making the jokes. He didn't have to make a statement that he wasn't going to make them anymore. He could have just stopped fucking making them the first time. Well, it's a, it's a two-pronged effect here because, yes, you are correct, but it's also like we or, or journalists or whatever don't have to put up a big fucking article saying, hey, look, this is what PewDiePie isn't doing anymore. Yeah. So it's, it's, no, a, no, it's yeah. a two-way thing. Yeah. And I do, I do agree with you that... But I'm not bringing it up because it's newsworthy. I'm bringing it up because why make the fucking statement? No, I, it's fair enough. You know what but, I mean? I mean, at the end of the day, and I hate that I've just said that, but at the end of the day, 
if he's not talking, if he's not making these statements, yeah, good. But don't look for a. Do you know what? I, I, Barry, I, friend of the show, had a great tweet about it where he's like, "Oh, sorry, we're all out of medals, mate." Oh yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> you yeah. know, which is a real like. Do you want a pat on the back for six months too late? Yeah, stopping yeah. making Nazi jokes. You were upsetting people from day one about it. Um, there, there are certainly more uh, constructive things he could do in terms of uh, bringing awareness to the actual damage that has potentially been caused yeah. from this. Um, but at this point, yeah, it's just just shut up and just don't talk about it. And also, also, I don't necessarily. Th- by him hiding behind the shield of, like I said, the 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 school of thought, the comedy's responsibility is to say the tough thing. At the end of the day, he's not a fucking stand-up comedian. He's not a professional comedian. Like he is a gaming YouTuber with some kind of surrealist, funny content. It's like, do you know what it is? Comedy it's, is part of his personality. It's not his job. It's either just a level of ignorance or a level of stupidity. Yeah, when you those know? two things mix, it's always absolutely brilliant. But enough about him and the Nazis. Um, which is something I didn't think I'd say when I woke up today, but it's 2017. Mm. Um, we Happy Few. Remember we're talking about this game? This is the weird procedurally generated survival horror game it that was had like... the weird kind of... Um, weird kind of uh, vaudevillian... It looks a bit... Orwellian... It looks a bit shocky. Yeah, and ha- yeah, looked a bit, looked a bit Bioshocky, looked a bit... Yeah, it was the only thing people talk uh, about for Jim about Sterling about does a voice in us. Yes, I have heard that. Yeah. Um, but people played the the early access build. That was last year. Mm-hmm. I can't believe that. And it was very much a kind of uh, the like the aesthetic is cool and some of the things they're thinking about. Like, do you remember we saw that trailer and it was like blow away. Yeah, because everyone was like, it's really good for the first fifteen minutes. Yeah, but the, this is the thing, and I, I I'm seeing a lot of people, whereas they appreciate the the technology. A lot of people are turning a corner in uh, in a bad way for procedural generation, uh, because some people now have the argument that procedural generation is just your way of padding something out. Case in point, No Man's Sky, which I'll be talking about on on next week's show because yeah, they have beefed that out significantly sure. now. Mm. Um, and I'm, I'm I am playing that, but I want to kind of have time to talk about it next week. Um, but now we, we have an update finally on We Happy Few and it's going to be launching as a full price retail game in April. Uh, PS4 version is confirmed and it's going to be published by Gearbox. Um, it sounds like it's going to be a much bigger game than the early access build we saw over a year ago. The launch game will contain a full length story campaign consisting of three playable characters and more than 250 unique encounters, whatever that means. Our team was humbled by the initial public reception to We Happy Few and delighted to have the chance to make it bigger, said developer Compulsion Games studio head Guillaume Provost. Gearbox believed in us from the very beginning, and we think the partnership will make it possible to create the game that our community expects. Um, the game standard edition will go on sale for about $59.99, which is £47 sterling, uh, but those who purchase it on Early Access or Xbox One Game Preview Program will receive the full game at no additional cost. Those who pre-order from the Microsoft Store, Steam, GOG, or uh, the Humble Store will receive alpha access upon pre-ordering the product. Diehard fans then can snag a $149.99 limited edition collector set, which has a replica mask, a you look smashing lamp, a vinyl soundtrack, and a joy alarm clock. Weirdly, it doesn't contain an actual copy of the game. Yeah, that's a that's a real wait and see there because that is a game with a high ceiling, low floor. I think is the best way to put it. If they fill that game out with a bunch of stuff, 
and make it the the survival element of that game was apparently tremendously irritating yeah people. well i mean they've had a well over a year since we got reports about the the kind of more average parts of that game mm. so a year is a long time that you can kind of look into that and think yeah. okay what now we've had some kind of real feedback what did we not see that you know someone with a fresh pair of eyes has seen Absolutely. and how we can kind of work on that uh there's a new Humble Bundle, and it offers a ton of 2K games on PlayStation. Um, if you pay $1 or more, you'll receive XCOM Enemy Unknown Plus for the Vita, uh, Civilization Revolution 2 Plus for the Vita, the Bureau XCOM Declassified, and all its DLC for PS3, and Evolve for PS4. Pay more than the average of 586 at the moment. To also unlock the following PS3 games, XCOM Enemy Within, Bioshock Borderlands, Borderlands 2 Ultimate Edition, Mafia 2, and Spec Ops The Line, which is a very good game uh, from what I remember. On PS4, you'll get $9.99 worth of premium currency for Battleborn, which is now free to play. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Offer $20, and you'll receive XCOM 2 on PS4, which is pretty good. Like, even $20 just for XCOM. Like, you, you get all previous tiers, but just XCOM for $20 is a pretty yeah. decent deal. Yeah. XCOM 2. Because that only came out this year, didn't it? Or late last year? Uh, oh, Jesus. I think it was this year. But anyway. I remember. Um, quick word of warning, though, for anyone listening here, those are only valid. F- uh, the codes for PS uh, for PlayStation platforms are only valid if you have a North American PSN account. I'm going to just before you... Which are easy you, enough to create. Just like. before you jump onto the last uh, piece, uh, I've got actually up... The uh, there's a whole bunch of discounts. I mean, there's always discounts that seem to be going on the PS4 at the moment. Yeah, the summer sale is coming to an end this week, is it, or next week? Yeah, but we've got until the 6th of September, there's a whole bunch of games under 20 quid, including the likes of The Witcher 3, Wild Hunt, oh. Ukulele, uh, Middle-Earth Shadow of Mordor, the Graphic Auto Trilogy, Bioshock Collection, uh, Metal Gear Solid 5, Deus Ex... Uh, Tomb Raider Definitive Edition Wolfenstein New Order Ultimate Marvel Capcom Street Fighter 5 uh, there's yeah there's a ton of stuff here pretty Some, much uh, every, certified bangers in there pretty much every Resident Evil game uh, Alien Isolation Devil May Cry I'm, I'm really tempted to get back uh, to buying uh, DMC Devil May Cry and giving that a spin on the PS4 I have it upstairs do you? yeah I might have to have a look I at it I don't that. think I traded it in I might. Remind me to check. I mean, to be fair, I can probably get it for like six quid online. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, there, there's there's a whole bunch of stuff there. So, um, yeah, give that a look. Uh, final thing, uh, PlayStation customers who are kind of uh, a bit skittish about the, the price rise happening for PlayStation Plus membership, they've announced that you can receive 15 months of PlayStation Plus when you purchase a 12-month membership from the PlayStation Store. The current price for a 12-month PlayStation Plus membership is thirty nine ninety nine in the UK. Sony's offer means the players will receive three extra months of free membership. So, you know, if yeah. you, and memberships for PlayStation Plus, as far as I know, stack. So you can, even if you're not expired yet, tack on a 15 months now while you're at it. Yeah, I saw, um, I don't know if you follow Jelly Dills, which is... Uh, I don't, I follow Wario64, who fills my uh, feed with a lot of deals already. Uh, it's... it's- but I think it's part of uh, Eurogamer's kind of sister network. Uh, but they uh, they have a, a, a mailing list for every day. They'll put a bunch of stuff out. They had a ton of different offers that were going on after mm. Sony made the announcement. So yeah, there, there's loads of stuff out there for, for deals if you want to get some uh, discounted PS Plus membership. Yeah, and in. speaking of, uh, to, to 
kind of shed out uh, something that definitely inspires us in our in our love of games and then covering them uh, you can also get a really good deal at the moment on giant bomb memberships premium memberships are on sale and they're offering free trials and uh, you can buy gift memberships for people now oh cool so go check that out i saw a load of tweets being blasted out about that earlier on so if you like hearing basically what we we're doing but better and professionally uh yeah <laughs> Lots better and I, lots more professionally. I, I only don't have a membership because I just generally I don't have the time to yeah. watch their premium. Content. I tend to wait like because a few times a year they'll go on sale mm. and I'll I'll add a year or two on for the price of one year. Yeah. I think I'm about three years ahead in terms of membership <laughs> at the moment. From like they had a really big sale on their last big live live show and I bought mm. about three years worth Strong. of memberships during it. Anyway, uh, that's going to do it for the news this week. Uh, now it's time to move on to the Link to the Cast Book Club where we talk about an important game from uh, the past that either you should pick up for the first time if you haven't already or maybe revisit if it's been a while. Uh, this week, it's a fucking weird one, folks. Uh, and I'm sorry in advance, we are talking about Killer7. Killer 7 is a 2005 action-adventure video game for the GameCube and PlayStation 2, developed by Grasshopper Manufacture and published by Capcom. The game was written by Guichi Suda, also known by the nickname Suda51, and produced by Hiroyuki Kobayashi. The game follows an, an elite group of assassins called the Killer 7. The assassins, physical manifestations of a man named Harmon Smith, perform hits on behalf of the United States government. Through these missions, the Killer 7 uncover a deeper conspiracy regarding the role of Japan in United States politics and secrets about the nature of their organization. Killer 7 features first-person shooter elements and a unique on-rails control scheme, but the core adventure-style gameplay has been compared more to Mist and Snatcher. Uh, just for a kind of uh, susan of the plot before we kind of get into this here. Uh, Killer7 takes place in an alternate version of Earth in the early 21st century. After a treaty ends all international conflict, the world powers destroy all nuclear weapons by firing them into the upper atmosphere and intercepting them with other missiles. This event becomes known as fireworks and symbolizes world peace to the general populace. In an effort to combat terrorism, pandemic disease and cyber terrorism, the International Ethics Committee shuts down all air travel and public use of the internet. Air transportation is replaced by a system of intercontinental expressways. However, a new terrorist group called Heaven Smile appears, targeting the United Nations and the IEC. The members of Heaven Smile are humans who have been infected with a virus that evokes a desire to kill. Factory-produced smiles are given a bomb organ that allows them to explode at will their principal means of attack. In this earth, Japanese politics are dominated by two parties, the UN Party and the Liberal Party. The UN Party is more powerful and moves to end the Asian Security Treaty and sever 
ties with the United States. The UN party seized control of the Japanese government through the wisdom of the Yakumo Cabinet Policy, a secret document which details how to run the ideal nation. It was written by the Union 7. Young members of the Liberal Party went on to found the UN party. The US government is eager to sever relations with Japan, seeing the country as a hindrance of little economic value. The interaction between Japan and the US is a central source of conflict in Killer 7. Now, take a breath. One of the reasons... So there's two reasons I I mentioned the story here. One, because it is an incredibly overly wrought and thought out plot to this game. And two, because I think it might be the last time we mentioned the plot because there's there's a lot going on in Killer7. And Uh, I feel if we don't get back to the, the kind of if we don't at least start on a point of the plot is basically Metal Gear on steroids, which consider that just for a second there, what I have just said. Um, yeah, let, let's move on. Mark, your knowledge, interaction, experiences with, with Killer7, or would you like me to go first this time? Uh, I'll, just, I'll briefly start with, I remember being introduced to it um, around the time of its release by a friend of mine, and just being slack-jawed by the the sheer, uh, just fucking insanity of the whole thing. And it's definitely a game at the time that I didn't get. Um, because, uh-huh. because, like, mechanically... Genuinely not sure if I still, if I do. No, here's <laughs> the thing, because the game is classified as an action-adventure game, but that's overly simplifying just what that, what it is. Um... I do remember feeling that... It's time crisis on ketamine. <laughs> somewhat, yeah. I, I remember at the time feeling like this game was, was... It felt like it was broken because of its kind of simplified controls or just its simplified approach to, to moving around the environment, which it does kind of play into what mm. the game is. It has to be like And the that. animation style as well feels broken in a way that kind of like just just the way it's designed feels just there's something that's really unsettling about it yeah the the, the ui plays a lot in that as well yeah because it's not conventional it's kind of like have you seen like parts of the ui of persona 5 yeah it's kind of got a little bit of that going on and it's just it's fucking all over the place um, and I just remember being creeped out by it, effectively. It just, yeah. It's a creepy-ass fucking game. It's one of those things that, that Suda is kind of synonymous with. There's, like, this 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 kind of... This vague menace and uneasiness uh, going on here in this game. Um, it also comes at, if, if we want to talk about it, if we're, we're staying on art style for a second, uh, it comes real at the height... Um, or, or around the time of the peak of um, cell shading, which is a, a movement in video game design that I've always been really fascinated by. There, there was a time around the early two thousands. Yeah, so this was this would have been right at the kind of like the crest of that wave, maybe. So we have like had beautiful Joe, beautiful Joe, Wind which Waker. is also a GameCube game, Wind Waker uh, 13, thirteen, which yep. I fucking we that will be uh, if it it hasn't been already, has it? No, I don't think we have no, yet. No, no. I, we have played it recently. Yes, that. that's what I was thinking. Uh, there was uh, cell damage on the PS2, uh, fur fighters, which is a fucking game I love. Yeah, there was there was a few because I mean yeah. the fact is is with with cell shading style graphics you could make some really interesting stuff that you just couldn't do. Like you can uh, do really interesting things with light sources yeah. in cell shading that um, 
you really like at the time in in the still very polygonal era you, you couldn't do in in a reliably good way just had radio as well yep of course yep. The, a, a classic a modern classic um yeah it's it's an art style that like i i really think i i I just think is one of the more since we move from the 2D to 3D space I think it's the most um interesting movement in in art design and games mm-hmm. I, I think personally and that's that's originally what grabbed me because cell shading was a thing between Wind Waker between um 13 in particular and Beautiful Joe that I was really on board with and I saw screenshots of Killer 7 before it came out in uh, 2005 and i was a guy who was just at that point and like my metal gear love had 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 well and truly started to kick off i was i had played the games when i was younger but um i was getting to a point now where i was a bit older and when i would replay metal gear solid the original I was understanding more of the the story and the subtext and things like that that were kind of just you know when you're younger you kind of just skip through cutscenes yeah. just to play yeah. more game, um, and, and yeah, Killer Seven was one I saw in like it was say it was like official PlayStation magazine or, or one of those I don't know what gaming magazines I would have been reading around the time, but probably OPS two, um. And this came out the same year as, uh, or it came out the year after Snake Eater. So when I heard Game with Cell Shading, which I, I'm really a fan of the art style, that also has a lot of kind of, uh, shall we say, geopolitical intrigue in theory in it. Um, I was like, I, I, need, I need to get on board with this. And then much like you, I sit down and I play this game and... Do you also have a feeling of this game? Like, I haven't... We have it here in the house, and we actually must sit down and play it over the weekend or something. But I remember sitting down with that the first time, and my initial thought was, I don't know what I was expecting. Yeah. But it was not this. Well, I I wasn't really given any... It was was just I was sat down, and I was given a controller. Yeah. Which is kind of the worst way... Well, it's probably the best way, actually, to approach this game. Just go as blind as possible. Yeah, in some ways, it's the best. And in some ways, like, it depends on your level of tolerance for weirdness, Yeah, I I mean, for for anyone who has never experienced this game, give me as as brief... Well, no, actually, no, because you you won't be able to do it. But give me a synopsis... I've never been brief about anything in my life. ...of how this game works... So or how you play it? Uh, how do you like go through it? Like, like but, I said, in in the kind of the time crisis on ketamine or no, acid see, sort of. I I see. I don't like, think you can call it like an an on sh- on rail shoot. There definitely is on rail element to it. Well, so that it's like it's that it's a fixed. This path. and this is the thing about fucking pseudo man. <laughs> it's just like how do you okay, concisely. So, you navigate between you navigate environments by you're on a fixed path. Yeah. Now you can choose like which way you want to go, yeah. but once fixed, you're on that path, but branching. But once you're on a path, the the way that you move is you don't actually move the the analog stick or the D pad. You just mm. press the the face button. I can't remember if it's A or X or whatever, and that's how you move forward. Yeah. And yeah, so through the spaces, you're fixed on a path. That's what you do, and you're in third person that palm at that point in the game. Um, and from there that you'll come into uh, areas where you'll have to uh, solve puzzles in that 
kind of sort of Resident Evil sort of style where they're a bit cryptic and that kind of Capcom Japanese sort of yeah, style. Yeah, a bit you know? opaque. Or Konami. Very, yeah. yeah, Konami's actually pretty, yeah. Um, but then at points you go into first person mode, which mm-hmm. is where you have to deal with Heaven Smile. Um, now Heaven Smile are actually, um, or the enemies are invincible. Yeah. Uh, and so you have to go into first person mode and then that's when you kind of actually can sort of see what the fuck's going on. Yeah. Uh, and then it becomes a, it, I haven't played it in a while, but I do remember it being this kind of clunky first person shooter. Because yeah, it, it wasn't, it wasn't tight. No, because this say. is the thing, because with Time Crisis, Time Crisis is fucking tight, but it is a yeah. light gun shooter, but, yeah. but this is not. Um, and so you can pick off different parts of these uh, kind of human shaped uh, enemies humanoid coming, humanoid yeah. shaped creatures coming towards you who have like a specific part of their body that if you shoot it it's like a one shot kill yeah. but like where you would, come, would normally just go for the head it's not the case here it could be any limb that's part of the body yeah. and you kill them to uh, and you take their blood basically to mm. kind of help power you up and help power up the different uh, yeah, cause alter this, egos yeah because this is the other side of like the character you play uh, Harmon Smith has this condition he's an elderly man in a wheelchair but he has this condition which allows him to transform into one of seven different assassins and these seven characters will as the game progresses it's kind of a trying to find the the square peg for the square hole situation it's like what person is going to help me out in this particular part of the game mm-hmm. sort of thing so the list uh, i'll just go through the, the, the list of the seven here so you got african-american garcian smith uh, aggressive Irish American Dan Smith, barefoot Japanese American female Cade Smith, uh, albi- albino Britain Kevin Smith, Puerto Rican Coyote Smith, young Chinese American Con Smith, and I think everyone's favorite probably Mexican American luchador Mask De Smith. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they were gifted killers in life, and Harmon absorbed their souls through his condition after their deaths. Um. And I love, I'm a big fan of, and you'll see if you pick up just the, the box to Killer7, just the character designs here are, are pretty mental with it. And it is a case of, yeah, you're, you're doing these not quite, like, I wouldn't say mechanically the game is anywhere near a marvel of the modern age. Um, but one of the reasons I, I, I bring this game to the table here for you, Mark, this week is I think this is one of the early experiences in my life, a defining experience of thinking of games as more than just a mechanical process like a, a mechanical thing i do for fun like a platformer or an old kind of game i think of this more as oh like i'm walking through an art house film yeah this is like i this is like playing this this is like trying to plug a jewel shock into a david lynch film yeah and here's the thing with killer seven because you do tread the line of going into uh, up your own ass territory, yeah. you know, pretentious uh, places. But the thing with Killer Seven is it's too fucking weird. It's too fucking weird, and like in a in a to a certain extent, like Suda is super genuine about his weirdness. And it's like, like it's not like he's a weird guy because like he's a kooky artist, yeah. like Tim Burton or yeah, anything yeah. like that. No, no. It's like he's just a fucking weird guy. And he's, the thing is, is you play this game, and there's no part of it that you can take seriously, and there's no, no part it's, of the it's game all that takes it seriously. Mask de Smith. Like, exactly. you know, it's inherently ridiculous. Which kind of keeps... It, it drags it back into... Not into kind of being in that sort of pretentious art house territory. But it does go without saying that... 
you can look at Killer7, you can play Killer7, and it really is, at the time, there are yeah. very few games that you can compare it to. And at this point in 2017, there are still mm. very, very few games that you can compare it to. Yeah, this is one of the Suda 51 games. Yeah, this is one of the first games I remember distinctly because I think we moved from the 90s, the, 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 the topic of debate in video games was violence. Gratuitous is violence in video games. And I feel the 2000s then was the era of two arguments. The one that was more prevalent, we talked about it recently with San Andreas, is the idea of sex in video games. And sort of violence is still part of that argument as well, because mm. in a lot of video games, sometimes sadly, the, the two go hand in hand, uh, where you will find one, you will find the other in a video game. And then the other thing is that it is the first time this and the, the Wind Waker uh, fallout, shall we say, the reception, is the first time I remember in kind of when, when I had been cognizant of people talking about the artistic medium of games yeah, as opposed to games just being a hobby or a pastime or something like that. Um, like I think not so much with Killer7 but definitely with uh, Wind Waker, the people who came down on the side of this bollocks uh, turned out to be idiots. Yeah, well, because I mean, the thing is, is, that was working off of you know an already established series canon. of games. Yeah, and, yeah, it already had its its fan base on, uh, and this is definitely um, like I don't know where I fall down because I'm always very very um, tentative about the 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 representation of 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 sex in video games and the, the male gaze and things like that. I'm always very very conscious of we once had a discussion on the show about how I have just always had a problem with Bayonetta yeah. for similar reasons. Which, as I found out, um, the um, Abby Russell of Giant Bomb has very similar issues of discomfort with... Um, it's, it's fair, it's a fair point. Yeah, yeah, have, yeah. yeah and that's why we had the discussion. Like, there are definitely, like, there. it's one of those two sides sort of things. Like, it really depends on how you're viewing a particular uh, set of events. But I, I think putting that aside for a second because we could be here all day talking about that i think as a as an interesting meditation on geopolitics like a weird but interesting meditation on geopolitics and as a just an artistic piece like watching it move and and just seeing the 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 artistic choices that are made in this game it's one of those games from the PS2 era that I still think today, this is 12 years later, has a lasting impression on me. And even though it's not the, the, the best controlling game in the world, I don't think it was the most satisfying game to complete in the world. There were definitely times you talked about the, the, the very uh, obscure puzzle mechanics that are going on in there. There are definitely times, and you probably had the same, where you really button your head against the wall frustrated with Killer7 yeah. when you're playing it. But... I think there's definitely something to be said for it's 12 years later and I still sometimes think about this game and mm -hmm. the effect it had on me mm -hmm. and the, it in some ways shapes the way I think about video games as a medium um, yeah. which really stands to the design of it and here's the thing and, um, I spoke about this the other week with Crazy Taxi but it's even more prevalent here this was released by Capcom there is no fucking way on earth no. this game would get a physical release in 2017. P like, that era, the, the PS2 era, uh -huh. people were doing weird shit. Uh -huh. <laughs> like, like rep publishers with a name were doing weird-ass shit. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know, were we talking about this on the show? 
last week or was it just us talking personally like it was so weird like you would never get in 2017 this this happening even with rock like and it was rockstar it is rockstar in the middle of being the poster boy for the controversy of violence in video games just go fuck it and make manhunt yeah could you imagine if they did that if they made that game now Mm -hmm. that game that is an interactive snuff film it would there Oh my god, we it would never be off the front page of most websites. And on the flip watch. side, then make a ping pong game. Yeah, like it's fucking like games were super weird, you know. It and it's a shame because um, and I, I think part of it is the the way f- the way um the business of being in video games has gone. Um, the the indies take their risks but don't get exposed as 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 much as they should sometimes and the triple a space like capcom like you said the capcom put this game out the capcoms of the world don't necessarily want to take the risk anymore whereas back in the day it was just like fuck it let's do it and in, you know? in fairness they have had their financial issues and yeah fair enough you yeah. do have to look at the bottom line like I, oh I yeah it is not object like, to that it is a business yeah you know um but this is definitely like it's it's um it's certainly one of those games where you you just think man people were doing some weird ass shit back in the day um but yeah do you have anything kind of um any 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 closing thoughts like it got a lot of it was a very mixed reception at the time when it came out um as it says here on the wiki page Greg Kasavin of GameSpot was one of the big champions of the game um, even though it got a lot of kind of mixed reviews there's a lot of kind of 70s 80s like it's right there in the middle of yeah good don't necessarily think great um, a lot of video game publications recognize Killer7's unconventional gameplay and use of innovative style. At GameSpot's Best and Worst 2005 awards, the game was nom- nominated for Best Story, Best GameCube Game, Most Outrageous Game, and Most Gratuitous of Swearing, and won Best New Character for Harmon Smith. Well, here's the, and here, Most Innovative Game. Here's the thing about Killer7. You can see, ever since that game, there's been elements of that that... Uh, Suda51 has tried to extrapolate from whether it be No More Heroes or Lollipop Chainsaw or Killer is Dead or Let It Die you know Mm. I mean part of that is just he has his own kind of personal stamp that he has on video games yeah he's an auteur and god bless him for it yeah but they there's so there's there's precious few of them that are prominent yeah you know what I mean which is sad and um he does suffer from that kind of well you know it's a suda 51 game so it has to be you know yeah he's he's kind of set the bar for himself like he can't just go out and make like standard military shooter or yeah, anything yeah, yeah. like that you, you kind of have as to if the man in. were even capable you, you kind of have to lean into it at that point yeah but even with all of that you know he's never come close to that level of just exploring uh, Yahtzee uh, Zero Punctuation like he's kind of whole bit about um, Killer7 is just like you know it's just there's no other game like it you know this is what happens when you really just kind of break down walls and just start exploring what you can do with video games yeah you know Uh, and there are a few games where you sit down with your design doc and you don't go 
this is what we're doing, you ask, what can we do yeah. with the medium? And, you know, here's the thing, right? Killer7 is a very op- a very obtuse game, you know? Um, it, you can play it and just immediately just not get on board with it. And that is completely understandable because I was yeah. in it at the time. And even now, it's not a game that I would honestly say that I want to sit down and enjoy, you know, like a breezy Sunday afternoon. Yeah. You know, it's not that kind of game. It never has been. It never, it, it never it attempts to address itself as that kind of game. But just as a sheer, and, you know, we are, again, now going into that kind of pretentious territory, but just as a thing to just experience, yeah. um, there is no other game like it. As yeah. far as I'm concerned, mm. I mean, there are games that are um, on rail shooters and have those kind of weird, quirky puzzle uh, elements that you find in a, a Konami game like Silent Hill. Um, but it just it it grabs a whole bunch of things, brings it together, and and pushes out between the fucking Kojima Metal Gear bonkers esque storyline and the way that's presented, between this character who's dealing with. Um, schizophrenia and psychosis and god knows what else and how it presents these kind of different characters but from you know this is one person and these are his alter egos just the way it looks um, I'd love to see this game get a remaster yeah. um, I don't know if that will happen I know Suda51's kind of gone back and forth in it I don't know if Capcom well actually no Capcom are fucking all about doing the remasters at the moment so yeah, they'd probably be all over this Yeah. whether it would shift any units god knows but uh, <laughs> but I'll tell you what right you put that on the Switch and give me the option to <laughs> use the gyro aspects of that oh I'd be all over that Um, you got an elevator pitch, elevator pitch I think you've me? pretty much done it it's like there's yeah. no game like it yeah. uh, it's just it is you have heard and then we have talked about it in a lot of ways but it's also unbelievably difficult to describe if you haven't experienced it um so it is really really worthwhile as a discussion point on a lot of things um as, as we've just talked about and i'd be very interested to hear people getting their trying to get their heads around it in 2017 that not only the content of the game but the idea that someone like capcom allowed this to be made mm-hmm. um Anyway, that's that's going to do it for, for Killer7 in the book club. We have one last bit of business to do here on the podcast, Mark. It is your turn to tell us what we are going to be talking about next week in this feature. Uh, so I'm going to pick a game that, like Killer7, you really appreciate kind of for its artistic merit, but it, it's not quite in that direction. In fact, it's quite in a completely different direction. Mm-hmm. But one of my favourite games from the last generation... Um, It's a relatively short experience, but it has a a charm and a kind of epic, sprawling, uh, grandiose sort of vibe to it. I think I know where this is going. Hmm? I think I know where this is going. Yeah? Yeah. Okay, we'll see. Uh, Definitely, just just one of my favorite games of the last generation, and uh, it did get a remaster or a a buff HD version for this generation. Uh, Let's talk about Journey. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I knew as soon as you said it, yeah. Um... Yeah, Journey for episode 79. I've linked to the cast. Lock it in, sir. Um, that uh, That's going to do it for this episode of Link to the Cast. This podcast is available, as I said at the top of the show, on SoundCloud, iTunes, and most podcast platforms. Just search for Link to the Cast. Subscribe, rate, review. It all helps us. Um, we, we appreciate people who have been engaging with the um, the my scattershot 
retweeting of the the podcast during the week we hope they'll retweet and like that stuff get get us uh, spread out as far as possible across this great wide internet get the tentacles going uh, around um we also have in terms of a uh, podcast updates we should have a new episode of the grap up uh, our occasional pro wrestling podcast coming up next week i have to lock in our, our guest panel and uh, we will be recording the thing after SummerSlam so that we can get the, the aftermath of that in. So you'll probably have a two-podcast week next week. One episode of Link to the Cast, one episode of The Wrap-Up to enjoy. The website is linktothecast.eu where you can go and have a look at uh, show notes, uh, the, the articles we throw up periodically, things like that. If you want to get in touch with us, linktothecast at gmail.com is the email address. Social media, the most reliable way to get in touch with myself or Mark, facebook.com forward slash link to the cast or at link to the cast on Twitter. Uh, individually, I'm at Dave Ryan IV. Mark over there is at Lithium Project. Uh, we stream games sometimes over at twitch.tv forward slash link to the cast. Archive them later on YouTube. On the YouTube channel, then you can just search link to the cast, all one word or separately, depending on what you prefer. Uh, our weekly video schedule, which we completely uh, dropped the ball on this week, but. Uh, we shall endeavour to do better. The internet went in the house Friday when I went to post Friday plays. By the time I came back, I forgot. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Um, and you had been travelling and were completely yeah. fucking... You no had, you had. So I can't believe we didn't even get into your travel issues. But had the Dallas curse is real. Well, I mean, it was only it was only a 90-minute delay. Yeah, it wasn't so. quite three days no. like we had that time. No. Um, or me being stuck where they wouldn't let us off the plane on a 35-degree day for over two hours. Yeah, although I was enjoying... Um, you, you know, like, when you go in... So you get, like, a delay, and you've got the, the shootesses, or you've just got the people working... Just see the iTunes right now. One-star fuckers can't even end a show. Yeah. <laughs> but you just go, like... Uh, you got the people sitting there who... They've just heard the announcement. They're just in there in a high visage. They're there just to kind of give any kind of information they can. And then so a person goes over and starts giving it fucking left, right and centre. Yeah, as if that's going to do anything. Yeah, and you've got you've one woman who's just like, this is an absolute disgrace. This is disgusting. You've blah, 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 blah. It's like, mate, it's a fucking 90 minute delay. All right? Yeah. Like, do you remember when we were stuck in Heathrow and you had that one with the fucking double bass trying to get it onto the plane as carry-on luggage? <sighs> Don't even start. Don't even start me in airports. Don't even. What's the deal with airports? Um, our usual video schedule starts on Monday with Mark on Mondays. Mark, is it Titanfall still or are you changing tack or what do you do? do you know? Titanfall. I didn't buy Sonic so on PS4, so yeah. Yeah. There's only so much you could you could stream of that. I streamed a little bit of it, but there was some technical issues. Our internet wasn't doing so hot. It mm. dropped off the, the video a couple of times, so I didn't end up publishing it in the end. Um Wednesday, Retro Corner sixty four. Um is that Pro Evo this week? <laughs> I think so. Yeah, which means we need to record some more. I think that was the last of that batch that we did. No, I think we've got like a, another two. Oh, do we? Oh, yeah, cool. I think so. So if it's pro, if it's uh, ISS Pro this week, uh, you're in for a treat because that I think is my favourite broken one so far. <laughs> um, some of the ROMs have not been doing too hot uh, either. Uh, a combination of the ROM not being great, Mark's laptop being uh, a little bit over the hill, or both. We 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 we're not entirely sure. Um, Thursday is the day the podcast comes out. Um, and that's the only thing that comes out that day because it's about an hour and a half, two hours for you to enjoy in and of itself. And then Friday is Friday Plays, my solo play series where once I resume, I already have all the episodes banked already. Um, we will be getting to the final three episodes, Mark, of Friday Plays Oxenfree, uh, which I can tell you now, I'm really regretting not finishing that game last year. You mentioned that last week. Not just because last week I mentioned it because the soundtrack. Yeah. I would have fought tooth and nail. 
Um, fuck me, it's a really good game. <laughs> so you can experience the last three parts of that um, coming up in the next three weeks on Friday Plays. And then I think I might take a week off after that um, and, and come back with, with, with something else uh, completely different if I can find something. Okay. Um, that's going to do it for episode 78 of Link to Cast. I'm, at, I'm Dave Ryan, the man over there on the couch, Mark Robbins. And we will see you next week. I'm hungry and tired. <laughs>